When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm certainly very glad I saw it, and I'm really looking forward to discussing it. I think any film that takes the effort to kind of create its own metaphysical world that plays by its own set of rules and explores very deep and meaningful questions about what it means to be alive, and for that matter, what it means to be dead or to not live, is something that is worth discussing, not only because of what it reveals on the screen, but for what it tells us about our lives off of it and the discussions that it can spark, such as the one I assume we're about to have. Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. Today I'm joined by Marshall. Hi everyone. Rafa. Hi, hi. And Helen. Hi. And we're going to be talking about nine days. If you enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast, please give us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else you can rate or review podcasts. Also follow us on Flix Watcher Pod at Twitter or Flix Watcher on Instagram. And always thanks to the mighty people for the tunes they can hear right now and to Ben at Rockwood Audio for editing this particular episode and all the episodes of our podcast. If you want to get your podcast edited, then why not give Ben a call? Go for Rockwood Audio, that's R-O-K-K Wood Audio, and tell them that Flix Watcher sent you. Hello film fans, welcome to this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. Our guests today are Marshall and Rafa. Over to you please Marshall to say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do please. Hey everyone, you might have surmised from my brief intro, but my name is Marshall Schaefer and I am an American based in New York. I'm a freelance film writer, most frequently seen doing interviews for Slant Magazine, reviews for the playlist and slash film, and the occasional streaming guide update at Decider. I also write a Substack newsletter uh, called Marshall in the Movies, just as simple as it sounds. I'm, uh, I'm very glad to be here today and looking forward to diving right into this film. Thank you very much for joining us. So, I mean, this is also an open question for Rafa before you introduce yourselves. End of 2023, just a broad brush. As we record this, guys, this is going to come out in 2024. But it'd be good to just gauge your high-level thoughts as to, has 2023 been a good or a bad year for film? High-level discussion. Marshall. I think any year is a good year for film if you know where to look. But I certainly think the highlights (laughs) have been very, very high this year, both in terms of Barbenheimer being the big studio delight of the year, delivering both in terms of the quality of the films themselves and the engagement that they inspired from audiences. Uh, And then you look to the festival circuit internationally, look at things like Anatomy of a Fall, May, December. What else have I really loved this year? Past Lives, Showing Up which I don't believe has even opened in the UK yet, which is a great shame. Never heard that at all. <laughs> oh, I, I, I hope for you all that you get the, the joys of Kelly Reichert coming your way soon. But certainly, uh, as I looked uh, to create my top 10 of the year, an embarrassment of riches as always. Yeah. Raffle about yourself before we introduce you properly. 
Hi, yeah, for 2023, well, I just want to say that we at the Edinburgh Film Festival this year have had the UK premiere of Showing Up, which was lovely. I was a programmer at this year's festival. But I do think that 2023 has been a particularly, if not only great, a very diverse landscape of films. There have been a wealth of up-and-coming indie filmmakers rising in the scene like Celine Song and also incredible films by really well-established filmmakers like Martin Scorsese and Todd Haynes. I love things like poor things that have really pushed the boundaries of visuals and style at the same time that films like Fremont by Babak Jalali have really whisked away my heart and it has been a fantastic year for women in, in film with not only incredible debuts but also films crossing thresholds and history in the box office like Marshall was saying with Barbie and to see a film like Anatomy of a Fall do so well in the um, global circuit has been a thrill as well so it's been, it's been a really good year. Awesome. Well, Rafa, can you just tell us a bit more about yourself? You mentioned Edinburgh Film Festival there. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I'm Hafa. I am also a film critic and a programmer. You can often see me on Little White Lies, Silent Sound, The Playlist and Variety. And programming-wise, I have programmed the Edinburgh Film Festival for the past few years. And I've done a few seasons with particular cinemas. And yeah, I am just a freelance in the world of film. I apologise, I've said your name incorrectly. This Hafa, does that mean you're Brazilian-Portuguese origin? Is that the... Yeah, it's okay though, it's Hafa, like half a cup of tea. Yeah, Hafa, the Scorpi. Yeah. No, it's okay, to the bank. I do actually speak Brazilian-Portuguese quite well. My, my mind's <laughs> gone blank. But anyway... We are going to talk about the film that you chose today, Hafa, and that is Nine Days. I've never heard of this before, so I'm curious as, as to say, to find out why you chose it and give us the synopsis, if you, if you can do, in one minute or less. So in a small yellow house in the middle of the desert, a man will triage his souls to decide whether or not to get a chance of living at the same time as he is struggling with the recent loss of one of his favourite pupils. I've chose this film because it came out in 2021. It was a Sundance 2020 film. So it was right at the thick of the pandemic. And I think it was one of those films that have unfortunately been very overlooked because of the distribution situation at the moment. It's a film that in the UK opened in a very, very limited release. And I just don't think that people had the chance to see it. So I, I wanted to, to see the opportunity to discuss the film a little bit more. Also, as you have mentioned, I am Brazilian and Edson Oda is Japanese-Brazilian and there are quite a few nuggets of Brazilian culture throughout interspersed throughout the film. And my research, I have a master's in film and my research for 10 years is suicide on film. So it's right up my alley of the things that I love and I thought it would be a lovely chance to, to talk about a film that not many people might have seen. Well, I think we Helen don't like it when people bring films that we haven't seen films that I haven't heard of I mean one of my favorite ones that people that someone brought on was all about Eve <laughs> major the classic film I'd not heard about it didn't know it existed and when I saw it I was like holy shit this should have been in my life you know as a grown up so yeah it's a real skeleton key to so many other films it's been such a touchstone I mean Amadovar just to name one it's like you I'm sure you probably have a new lens through <laughs> to see so many other films but I love it when people do bring films that we wouldn't have, if it's just myself and Helen talking about films on this, on the show, it would have been Wes Hansen. There'd be some Marvel stuff. <laughs> there'd be some like, you know, mainstream indie, you know. Get boring um, quite quickly. <laughs> no, you can always call me when you want a depressing <laughs> indie that people have not heard about. 
I I go to Edinburgh every year, apart from the two years of the pandemic for like the past 10 years. Went for the first time since the pandemic this year, and but I've never been to the Edinburgh Film Festival. So I'm going to keep you on my speed dial and give you a shout next time up because I'm super keen to just enjoy that time. But yeah, you said the synopsis in like a, a, in a smattering right at the stop of that. I'm going to throw it to Marshall or Helen. I mean, what were your thoughts to this? Had you guys heard of Nine Days before Hafa suggested it to us? I had heard of it. I missed it in the pandemic rush. It got a very strange stateside release that was a little bit bungled, kind of under the radar. They moved the release date a couple of times. And it's usually the kind of film that I would try to catch up with towards the end of the year because it was something that a lot of film critics, such as Hoffa, that I really respect, were championing. And the themes were things that I usually like. But I think my angle in on it was a little bit less of the suicide portion of the plot and more of the the spiritual and the metaphysical elements and sony pictures classics the distributor in the u.s just made it really hard to see they didn't send it in the year-end screeners which i think for a while i was just throwing a little bit of a fit and didn't see it because of that and i was like well if you don't want me to see it then it does not merit consideration for my top 10 list and all those things i don't know that i would have quite cracked that level but I'm certainly very glad I saw it, and I'm really looking forward to discussing it. I think any film that takes the effort to kind of create its own metaphysical world that plays by its own set of rules and explores very deep and meaningful questions about what it means to be alive, and for that matter, what it means to be dead or to not live, is something that is worth discussing not only because of what it reveals on the screen, but for what it tells us about our lives off of it and the discussions that it can spark, such as the one I assume we're about to have. So Helen, I'll toss it over to you. Yeah, so I had not heard this at all, but a a simple glance at the cast list and spotting Benedict Wong on there would go, oh, this is probably going to be good because if he's involved and it's got kind of an element, not necessarily sci-fi, but an element sort of like outside your normal kind of uh, cinema, then the signs are good. And this is, you know, one of the things that we, we've, Kobe's touched on that we really love doing this podcast. And people always say like, oh, there's nothing on Netflix. Like there's nothing, nothing good on Netflix. And there are, you just kind of have to have a little bit of a dig. So when we get brought films that we've never heard of and they're like a real genuine surprise and, you know, we kind of have a really great discussion from it. It's, you know, it's, it's one of the beauties of doing this podcast. So thank you so much for bringing it. But yeah, this is kind of my bag. It was obviously just a really thoughtful piece of cinema. And yeah, I kind of feel that had I have known about it when it came out, it would have been something that I'd wanted to see, but I, I don't recall hearing or seeing anything about it. So it's a real shame, I think, that it kind of came out when it came out. And yeah, from what you've sort of said, the distributors didn't seem to want to make a, a song and dance of it either, which is a shame. I think at that time it was just complicated to first get people to cinemas. That was number one. But secondly, this film struggled to find a home it was passed by A24 and Searchlight struggled to get a $10 million budget that he required. And it just became a little bit of too many cooks in the kitchen situation when it came to releasing the film. There's a slate of executive producers in this pushing in different directions. One of them is Spike Jonze, who jumped on board after the film premiered on Sundance. And there are obvious comparisons to his body of work, like her, which was a direct influence by Oda. So I think it was just one of those perfect storms of complications to get people to see it. Well, not only that, Hafai, when did you first watch the film? I'm just curious. 
Sundance. So it, I watched the film because it has catnip for Hafa. It is a film about existentialism directed by a Brazilian director with a score by Antonio Pinto, who scored City of God, one of my favorite scores of all time. So it was one of the films that I watched on the virtual Sundance back in 2020. So part of the reason I was asking that was because, and maybe we'll get into it a little bit more when we're talking about the rewatch value of the film, but I can imagine this is probably a tough sell for people coming out of COVID to some extent. I think we had spent so much of our past year thinking about life and death in a very immediate personal way that it's not necessarily the kind of thing that I think people were clamoring to go experience on a big screen. I think escapism to some extent was the the real draw of the time or things that were big screen spectacles and it's a very quiet and a very small film and one that is asking you to do a lot of the heavy lifting and i don't necessarily think that it was well served by coming out whenever it did that said i think a lot of people myself included bring a lot of the thoughtfulness that we had during that period in the introspection that it inspired to their experience of watching the film and it makes it that much more meaningful. Yeah, I think the film, when I first watched it, I was so besotted by it. And I think a great part of it was because I was in that period of my life of such deep introspection and needing constant reminders of the simple pleasures and joys of life at a time when we're all caged at home with very little access to the things that would normally bring us joy and just trying to strip it all down to being there, to being present, to being healthy. So I watched it very much at the thick of it. And I understand people not necessarily wanting to watch a very complex and sometimes very dark, nihilistic film about life. But I think my memories of it, of that first watch, are very much marked by being at that mental state of the pandemic. I don't know where to start with this film. It's very, very involved and I can understand, I mean, the recommendability score is going to be quite tough. For a, it was a super interesting film, but it's going to be tough to recommend to the, to the average cinema or non-cinema goer, someone who likes films just in general. But one of the things that does immediately, well, for myself and Helen talked about it there, even though you talk about it's liking Benedict one book, have you seen much of his films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Helen? I'm not sure you've... Um, I've seen him in them, in the Doctor Strange ones. (laughs) (laughs) But the the cast is like, when this first came on, I was like, oh, okay, so this must have been from like six or seven years ago before we knew them. But but I've known Benedict Wong since, for like at least 10 years. So I I couldn't kind of place where this was. And Benedict Wong was speaking with a normal Mancunian accent in this as well, which threw me because I've never heard him generally never heard him speak of that I'm always like proud that he's from Man- from near me in Manchester and there's Alexander Skarsgård and I was like okay so was this before it or was it after it and I was like and yeah Winston Duke so Winston Duke who's been we've seen him in Black Panther and we've seen him in Gordon Peele Dust probably I assume that's the one us yeah exactly so a lot of these people Zazie Beats I'm like every time I see Zazie Beats on TV or the screen in Atlanta and anything I'm like I think you're amazing you should be in more stuff just generally I'm just like Tony Hale when Tony Hale came on screen, I was like, he looks a lot slimmer than he did in Arrested Development. And also he's not putting on this kind of silly, goofy thing that he tends to do when you see him on screen. So I, I really found it kind of timeless and weird in that, in that kind of respect. And that's what drew me into the film, I guess, more than anything else that was going on in the story. It's like, what, what is going on here? What are people striving for? And it's, it's such a, I think it's a hard film to digest, really. And I think it's something I need to watch a few more times to really understand and, and gather what's going on in it. But the concept of these people vying to have life, but experiencing it in a kind of 
in between state for nine days before, or maximum nine days before they get chosen to then go to the next level of life is such a dark twisted thing. And I, I think I found it hard to wrestle what was going on in my head as well as them observing people who were living their life and being asked to comment on those people living their life as if it's like a, you know, what would you do? And that's part of the test is to see whether you get taken to the next level. Yeah, I'm still processing it in my head. And as you can see, my, by the almost verbal diarrhea that's just come out of my face, I think there's a lot to unpick from it. <laughs> so if any of you guys can help me unpick any particular strands, then please let me know. I think half of since you've seen it more than once, then you might be the best person to, to refer to. I've seen it a few times now. And I think one of the great merits of this film is that it is not trying to walk you through the little details of how this process works. It's not trying to hold your hand and tell you exactly how this is done, why these people are there, what are the dynamics of the entire situation. It is a little bit of a blank slate in that case. And it also allows you to project a little bit of what you bring to this idea of life and limbo to it, which I think is really beautiful. I think the production design is another really, really good point of the film because you have that old-timey, the old-timey televisions and you have that old ramshackled house. You're in this space of time that is very ambiguous. And there's this voyeurism that I think is quite incredible, this idea of watching people's lives through their eyes, through the way that they're walking through the world, the way that tears are projected on the screen is this little fogness and the little details that come in that film that make it really tangible and that situate you in that, in, in that reality. I also think that Winston Duke is a revelation and I'm not being hyperbolic. I think if more people have managed to see that film that year, he would have been much more in conversation for some of the lotos of 2020 or 2021. He's incredible. He has such a soulfulness to him. Marsha and I were speaking a little bit about the film beforehand. And Marsha was just saying that if someone told him that he had 50, 60 years in this world of gathering knowledge, uh, he would have believed it. And I think it's very much true. I think the combination of the lightheartedness and the camaraderie that Benedict Wong brings in with the introspection of Winston Duke is really beautiful. And then you have Zazie Beats that plays this character as if she's a kid just trying to experiment and take in this world and this embodiment of innocence that isn't taken over by stupidity or by dumbness. She's a character that is curious, that is vivacious, and that could very easily become slightly stereotypical or reductive, and she never really does. So I think it's it's a film that has such magic at certain points. You understand it's a directorial debate and there are quite a few hiccups here and there in terms of narrative, in terms of lining things up. I think it could be a little bit more compact in its storytelling, but the magic of certain moments, of the little experiences that they have, of being alive, of riding a bike, of feet touching sand, those little moments that you, you can almost hear yourself being outside, listening to others that I think are really beautiful. It's just this emotional catharsis that is mainly brought by this idea of empathy and, and seeing life through the eyes of others that I really, really love. And, and I'm not a religious person, but it is a very spiritual watch for me to, to think of this idea of souls embarking to their lives on Earth. So yeah, I do quite love the message and the ideas of the film. Watching this, it kind of felt like a little bit what like 
Terence Malick has been trying to do for the last few years, but not really very well. And I just feel that this kind of nailed it a little bit better, a lot better than what he was trying to do. Like Hoffa, I am also going to clasp my chest. <laughs> no! We're both... Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> Malickians. There have been some ups and downs. I love Tree of Life, but yeah. You like the Tree of Life? I think some of the more contemporary set ones have had their ups and downs. The kind of, what was it, To the Wonder, Song to Song, Knight of Cups. Yes, that one. Yeah. Yeah, they have their moments, but I agree with you. They, they are <laughs> very swingy. And it's just kind of the video style as well, where we're obviously at the start and we're looking through. There's a little bit in that in some of his later works. And then also there's kind of like the Wim Wenders, kind of Wings of Desire, sort of, you know, they're, they're souls, aren't they, technically? But... What are souls if they could be angels and they are watching above us? So there's those kind of themes as well, which it's not a new story or a new way of looking at how the way works, but it's like a new way of looking at it and a new kind of feeling. And you're kind of watching it, but then you're also watching the souls watch the people in in their lives. And in their lives, you're watching what the people are living as well. So you're really seeing kind of, different layers of living and and life and experiencing it on different levels of experience as well because one of the first questions he sort of asked like when did you learn language so these souls have only been in existence for such a short period of time and suddenly they're exposed through all these screens and all these different lives of what the world can be and the world is what it is and it's horrible it's beautiful it's slow it's repetitive it's all of those magical things so it's really interesting how we're all kind of coming at it from different ways and how it's made us all feel slightly different which not every film has to do that but when a film kind of that's I guess that's its intention I would think so Mm -hmm. but when it does it and it does it so well that you you kind of feel it very very deep it's quite rare that it manages to do that I think like Terence Malick with some of those other ones that weren't so good (laughs) to bridge a little bit what Hoffa was saying and what you were just mentioning Helen about the ways in which it's asking certain questions and provoking things with half his observation that it is occasionally a bit rough, like a debut feature can often be. You know, the, the structure of the film to me oftentimes feels like, okay, here's a kind of a crash course in moral philosophy with each of the days kind of corresponding to another major topic in existentialism of what it means to be alive. And I do think there are moments which it can feel a little bit schematic or it just feels as if a professor is running through a number of scenarios and wants you to go home and write a term paper on them. But I do think that it fleshes them out enough with the discussions between Will and the aspiring souls, or between Will and Benedict Wong's character. Is it Kyo, I believe? Yeah, Kyo. I can't remember if that's how you pronounce it. It gives you enough to where it doesn't just feel like an academic exercise in search of a plot. There is enough there that is detailed, that is concrete, that is specific enough that you can really kind of wrap your head around it in in an interesting way. This for me reminded me a little bit less of Terrence Malick, but this might sound a bit glib and certainly gives off the vibes of the meme. What's that tweet? It's like, guy who's only ever seen Boss Baby watching his second movie. This is giving me Boss Baby vibes. But it reminded me a little bit of Barbie to some extent, to this yearning to understand what it means to be in reality, 
you know, to tie it into our, or to our earlier or my earlier observation that I think it was a particularly good year for studio filmmaking that had a little bit more on its mind. But also I thought about things like Soul, which I think is actually quite similar in terms of what it's doing, quite a 2020 double feature pairing. I also thought to, you know, a little bit of an inverse of uh, Albert Brooks's Defending Your Life, whereas that was more of kind of what do you do analyze what it means to be alive after you're dead? And this is what it means to analyze your life before you're born. And then going back to what I assume is probably the godfather of them all for a lot of these filmmakers, the Powell and Pressburger, A Matter of Life and Death, old 40s classic, which uh, I will also recommend to people, I think lends a lot of structure to these existential observations of humanity. And I think it's probably a very direct influence, if not something that Frank Capra ripped off entirely for It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> so I will <laughs> I shut up way, and you, stop being you, encyclopedia. Ooh. <laughs> I think I like the way you've, you've touched upon a lot of different films that, that hadn't come to mind to, that have the shared kind of DNA in some way, shape, or form from, from Barbie to Soul. I think that's I think it's very fair, and I think that's I guess reading around the subject here that I need to do more. I've not I've never seen I've only seen one Powell and Pressburger film, and that's much to my detriment. Says every single person who's seen any Powell and Pressburger film by the one I've seen. So maybe a matter of life and death should be the one I I step into first. Although the Red Shoes seems to be. The, the big one that everyone should watch first. Probably there has just been a month-spanning season of Fallen Pressburger across the UK. Beautiful restorations. What were you doing, my friend? <laughs> That's the best way to see them. It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've just missed them all. But I watched the red shoes in bed. It's fine. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> is there anything you want to say before we head to the scores, guys? No, I just want to say that when Marshall was going through the films, a very good comparisons one thing, and it's that is a stay with me, is a massive curveball. But a film that came to my mind the first times I watched this film is The House That Jack Built, the Lars von Trier film. The idea of that journey through hell and where souls go and the suffering and seeing only the most terrible aspects of humanity, that dinner scene when Bill Skarsgård's character is just seeing the most he's just observing the poverty in humanity and to him to be alive and to be able to respond to being alive and to survive is to be able to identify the most awful traits of humanity it did remind me a little bit of the house of jack built crazy double bill but yeah it's funny that so came out the same year as nine days it is one of the most popular letterbox reviews of nine days is so <laughs> the live version <laughs> that's good but yeah one quick thing I'd love to discuss quickly before we go to the scores, just because I don't think there will be an opportunity to really discuss it, but Hoffa did mention that suicide is a particular area of academic focus for her. And I would love to hear you discuss kind of what this film adds to that body of work, and in particular, how it compares to your favorite depiction of on-screen suicide, Florian Zeller's The Sun. Oh, God, don't say that. People are going to believe you. That is my least favorite depiction of suicide on film. Listeners, that was pure sarcasm, not a good movie, not a good depiction. This, on the other hand, Mike, to you. <laughs> so, thank you, Marshall. But also, I'm going to try and be very succinct because I can talk about this for days on end. But I think, first of all, the film was inspired by Edson Oda's uncle, who died by suicide when he was only 12 years old. So there is that underlying theme of existentialism and nihilism and life 
only related to the idea of mortality that I think is very interesting. I think this idea of who to send to be alive and who would be able to withstand being alive to the point of this perceived completion to see it through is quite a fascinating point of view because to me what always drew me to films that talk about suicide and to me the most beautiful example and my favorite film of all time Harold and Maude does very well is to understand that being human and being alive is only possible the way that we understand it because we are always ever aware of our own mortality and to be someone like Will who has had a chance at life and feels like he has let it go and let it go unfulfilled and deprived of joy how does that compare to someone like his favorite pupil at the beginning of it that has found such joy and such talent in little moments but has decided to leave life at the ripe age of 28 so so those parallels of life the way you live it and life the way you leave it are very interesting to me in the way of this perception of suicide and, and the guilt that comes from it and the idea of what could I have done, how could I have walked people through it. And one of the most beautiful things that the film does, in in my opinion, with that beautiful Walt Whitman poem at the end, Song of Myself, is to to find redemption and to find catharsis in the idea that people will live their lives the way that they're meant to live their lives and they will exit and they will make their own choices regardless of how you are next to them or standing by them. I think it's quite beautiful. I think in the ranking of films that deal with self-killing, uh, Nine Days is much closer to Harold and Maud than it is to The Sun, <laughs> thankfully. And it's quite beautiful. Thanks, Marshall. Of course. <laughs> sets the scores I'm Sam Clements host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival another podcast in the stripped media family a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long each episode I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup past guests have included fellow stripped media family members Martin and Sam from Song by Song and Kobe from Flixwatcher and Dave from The Wire Stripped. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. So welcome to the Flixwatcher scores, all of the scores out of five. And we will start with you, please, Hafa, with your recommendability. I think this is a very tricky film to recommend. I am very aware of my tendency to recommend incredibly depressing films to people and they not always take me on because they're afraid of what I'm telling them to watch. So I think it would be a three. I think it is recommendable, but you need to understand who you're recommending it to. Marshall? I would say a four. I'll be a little bit more generous. I'm going to presume that the person who is even asking about this in the first place, or I would be thinking about recommending it to, has some tolerance and appetite for something like this. I think I chafe against the idea that this is a depressing movie. Obviously, it deals with some very heavy subject matter, and it does go to some very melancholy places. But I think ultimately, if you're willing to meet it on that level, it is something that you can find very uplifting. And if certainly not uplifting, it will at least inspire conversations that will hopefully nudge you in a direction that will bring you to a place of enlightenment or contentment. 
Helen? I'm going to go four as well. I, it's definitely not going to be for everyone, but I think as a film, there are kind of the tougher subjects and, you know, that it is quite thoughtful and probably kind of a bit slow, but also there's a lot of beauty to be found. And I guess how you kind of come out of it at the end depends on where you are on your your kind of own life journey and how you're feeling. But yeah, I kind of came out of it seeing it as a celebration as life and to, to recognise the kind of smaller moments as much as the big moments. And I just really loved the recreation of the bike ride and it just reminded me of how much pleasure and joy I get out of cycling myself. So yeah, a four. Yeah, I'm going to go for in between you guys with a 3.6 here. I think I don't think I'll, I'll be able to as flagrantly recommend it to people. and But I think those people... I do I'll be saying I'll be saying look it's got, first of all it's got people that we all love in key roles in this and I'll, I do love it when people when actors I don't want to say slum it but they they take a step away from where people typically see them I think Zazie Beats is going to be in Deadpool 3 for example every time I see Tony Hale I, I immediately a smile comes on my face and it was interesting to for that not to be the case when I saw Tony Hale on, on the screen so those are things that make it easier to recommend but I think that these subject matter generally is like a kind of sit, sit them down and just explain things before recommending it so yeah 3.6 repeat viewing score Hafa you've seen this uh, a few times yeah so if I was saying this for me that would be a five because I think I've seen this one four or five times now well it's for you it is for you this score oh so if it's just for me yeah of course that's a very high one but if i was thinking of like other people who are not as hardcore into this film as i might be i don't think it's necessarily something that they would be just going through netflix on a wednesday and be like hmm i really enjoyed this why not get myself to do it again so i don't think <laughs> now this is all for you Hafa, because the average is for everyone this is your score for yourself so for me, this would be a five because every time I'm feeling a little bit melancholic or that I'm needing a bit of a pinch of a reminder of the small beaters of life, I put it on and I love it. And I think the score is just the most beautiful, beautiful thing. So even when I'm not actively watching the film, I'm listening to the songs and the score and just being brought back to it in a certain way. Awesome. Marshall. I'm going to say 4.5, but I'm going to take it from the exact opposite angle as Hoffa, where she's talking about the smaller details that mean a lot. I'm thinking about the overall structure of the film, and we alluded a little bit to how this is not a movie that's spoon-feeding you the structure or the rules of this world and how it's working. And especially the first 15 minutes or so, you can watch it and be like, what on earth is happening? What are these TVs? There's a lot of details about the mechanics of how souls get put into human bodies on earth that I think, I have to assume, and Hoffa can probably confirm this, will make themselves much more evident on the second viewing. And perhaps then, once you're no longer worried about the larger rules of this world, you can then really start to see a lot of the small moments and the small grace notes that become such a large portion of the film's power at the end. Helen? I think I'll give it a three. I don't know if it's going to be one that I'm going to watch loads and loads, but in a few years, I think I'd like to revisit it. Yeah, a three. Yeah, this is, so I, I, I'm going to give it a four and I, I give higher repeat viewing scores for two reasons. One, because I'm going to watch it as often as I can when I have a break in, in the day or I need to watch it again because there's things that I need to absorb and rewatch and re-digest. 
this is the latter. I don't think I'm going to watch that often, frequently, but maybe in a year's time after I've had the time away from it to think, okay, now, and the same way Marshall said, now I can maybe just absorb what's going on instead of trying to work out the mechanics of what this world is. But I like the way they put that together as well in this, because the first soul that we meet and he asks how old she is, and she says four. And you're like, hold on, what's what? You're clearly not four. And then it says four minutes, four hours. And you're like, okay, this has put me off kilter. So already that kind of, I don't, I wouldn't be going into this repeat viewings with that kind of headspace or mentality, which allows you to absorb the film more. So that's why it's got a high repeat viewing score. But in terms of frequency, I don't think I'll be watching it that often. Small screen score, half a. I would say this works quite well away from a cinema screen. I think it would be a four. I think people don't necessarily need to watch this in the cinema. I am quite cautious of watching such emotionally impactful films in a smartphone. So I'd say probably put the iPhone down and maybe watch it on your TV if that's a possibility. And you really get the, the minutiae of the details of the production design, which I think are really clever if you're watching it in a, in a television. So I'll say that would be nice, but it does have very good small screen potential. It's a film that you can watch in a plane. There's no nudity, no heavy sex. You can watch it with people around you. Quite okay. You can watch it with your family. There will be no embarrassing moments. So yeah, four. Marshall? I think I would also go four. I watched this film spread across two days on my iPad on an elliptical machine, which is, you know, quite the place to <laughs> contemplate the deeper meaning of life. But, you know, sometimes you have to do the best you can with the time that you have. And I thought it worked just fine that way. Helen? That could be like the tagline for the movie, couldn't it? Sometimes you have to do the best you can with the time that you have. Yeah. <laughs> Sony Pictures Classics, whenever you're re-releasing it, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. works on an elliptical machine Marshall Schaefer I have written an entire newsletter about films that I think are great to watch on elliptical machines it is elliptical cinema is a real passion of mine I know and I have read it and it's great I've got a turbo I've got a bike trainer and I do watch quite a few TVs and shows whilst on well film so TV shows whilst I'm on that on that bike and it does a lot of them surprisingly work quite well anyway Helen I did not watch it on any kind of training machine i just watched it on my tv at home i think this would definitely be the kind of film that i would have gone to see at the cinema but given i didn't have the opportunity to do that i i think it works fine on netflix and i think it's great that it's there on netflix for you to discover so i'm going to give it a five i'm going to 4.8 because i think well for me it worked great on the small screen i tv and ipad in one sitting but i just transferred from one to the other but i do think I would get more from it watching in the cinema where there's fewer distractions, even though I wasn't really distracted. But I think something like this just is useful having being in that cinema frame of mind, I think. And finally, engagement score. Half a. This one is quite a high engagement score, say a 4, 4.5 perhaps, because, because of the sci-fi premises that Oda is using to, to cement the story in. I think people are just naturally curious to understand what this is all about. So even if they're not necessarily grasped by all of the existential points of the film, I think they will be wanting to know who makes it through the triage and how this ends. They will be curious to see how the film unravels. So I think this has quite a good engagement score, even if it does feel a bit slow at times. I think it's not a slow that will lose people to the point of leaving the story altogether. Marshall? 
I'll give it a 4.3. I think it is a film that is very hard to watch passively. I think because it asks you to do so much heavy lifting in terms of both putting together the mechanics of the world, as well as contemplating how you would answer a lot of the questions that are posed to the various souls. I will take off a little bit just because I don't think the execution is always as flawless as it could be. But again, I think what you lose in the precision of a first-time filmmaker, making something that's a little bit rough around the edges, you gain in terms of feeling their heart and soul really pouring out in it because it feels like this is something that Ed Zenoda has had on his heart and in his mind for a very long time. And that rawness, I think, does add something, even if, you know, maybe could have used it a little bit of a tighter edit or certain things could have been a little bit more precise. Helen? Yeah, I agree a little bit on it. It could have been a little bit tighter in its pacing, possibly, but I'm going to give it a solid four. I think your mind does start to wonder a little bit because you're thinking, how would I answer that question? Or you kind of like maybe want to spend a little bit of time, more time spying on these people. Is it spying, watching, observing? It's kind of weird, isn't it? So yeah, a solid four for engagement. Yeah, I'm going to 4.5 as well. I think the generally couldn't feel settled in the film. And it was interesting watching the stories of the souls hoping to be born, as well as the people that they're watching and the, and the threads that you saw going through them. So it was, I, I don't think you couldn't, yeah, like the thing it was Marshall said, you can't watch it passively. Uh, you're either watching it actively or you, you're switching off because there's there's no point being, you know, having it on the screen at the time. So yeah, 4.5. And that gives us an overall score of, it's going to be high, 4.13750. No medals, but that is a decent score, Hafa. Thank you very much for bringing it to us. Thank keep... you, guys. <laughs> what a pleasure. Yeah. So Hafa and Marshall, can you sign up by telling everyone where we can find you online and say goodbye to the listeners? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter and basically everywhere else is Hafiz, R-A-F-I-E-W-S. And you can find all my contact information on Twitter. So, yeah. And you can find me on Twitter, provided it still exists and has not been run down by Musk by the time this airs, at media underscore Marshall with two L's. But more likely, you can find both new writing and links to everything else I'm doing across the wide world of freelancing my newsletter, marshallinthemovies.substack.com. Awesome. Guys, it's been a pleasure to talk about this film. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Bye. 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 Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixWatcherPod on Twitter and we're at FlixWatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Rockwood Audio's editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood Audio. Tell them FlixWatcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.